0: We've been going through Acts, and we've seen the Spirit do all sorts of um, great things to, to bring people together. And, and, and people like Paul and the other apostles, they've been following the lead of the Spirit. And so this, this story encourages us. When we get to Acts 20, Luke writes the following. Uh, by the way, there's been a big uproar in the city of Ephesus And the work of the Spirit and the work of Christianity isn't just keeping the status quo, but it's shaking things up. Uh, When the uproar in Ephesus was over, Paul sent for the believers and he encouraged them. And then he said goodbye and he left for Macedonia. And while there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns that he passed through. And then he traveled down to Greece where he stayed for three months and he was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. Several men were traveling with him. They were Sopater, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby; Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And they went on ahead and they waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia. And five days later, joined them in Troas where we stayed a week. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And the upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. And he fell to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms and said, Don't worry, he's alive. And then they all went back upstairs and they shared in the Lord's Supper and they ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. Well, I was happy to share that that, that artwork with you, and the very earthly setting for the Lord's Supper. Uh, it spoke to me, and it's kind of profound when I think about what that means, and what that means for the Lord's Supper that we share. And uh I notice things are pretty quiet, so I guess if I do put you to sleep today, that is in consistency with the text. Uh, you know, that does happen. Those of you in the balcony, be careful about falling to sleep up there. I, I'm not sure I can pull off what Paul did, uh, and am not going to try. So everyone, please be enlivened by this. Uh, there, there's, You know, we come to Acts 20, and we see where the Spirit has set a table for the fellowship of believers and they've gathered around and all of this by the way is not because Paul had some plan in fact real life interrupts it because he hears about this plot against his life and they have to change things but what you see going on in Troas is not very different than that that woodcut picture of Jesus and these ordinary folks when we come to acts 20 verse 7 and if you know anything at all about our traditions that 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 text may ring some bells with you because that's when we start thinking about the spirit of procedure and the mechanics and the elements and we think about The gilded cups or the gilded plates and and all of the pageantry of the Lord's Supper. And we read, on the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. And this becomes our proof text for Lord's Supper and a Sermon. But nobody ever wants to back that up and have a sermon until midnight. I don't understand why we don't take it all the way. But when you ask us, when we look at this, you ask us why do we do the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, every first day of the week, we point to this text. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong at all. I think it shows you that 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 became something very meaningful to them to gather on the Lord's day, to gather around the common meal, the Lord's Supper. I don't know that they were limited to doing it only on the Lord's day. I don't think there was any spirit of restriction. But there was certainly the spirit of definitely doing it on the first day of the week. Because that's the day that Christ rose from the dead. And so they gather together and they have the Lord's supper. And they remember him just like he told them to remember him. But there's more. There's more than just the what and the when. Who is there with Paul at that lord's supper have we ever stopped to ask that we know that paul's there we know that it's in troas if we pay attention at least otherwise we might just stop at on the first day of the week we came together to break bread see there that tells you why we do it every sunday yeah but who was there well when you take a look at the who at who was there around that table with bread And the cup of wine that would have been shared in the remembrance of the Lord's body and blood. Who was there? Verses 4 and 5. Paul was accompanied by Sopater and Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus. And who are these people? Well, they've got such odd-sounding names. And you know what? Timothy's about the only one that we ever hear of at any length. Um, Tychicus I think shows up in one of his letters to Timothy but quite honestly I got no idea who these people are and neither do you and it doesn't really matter I don't think Luke even cares You know, maybe the people who heard from Luke knew something about them but that's not what's important what's more important is did you notice where they're from he doesn't tell you where Timothy's from he just says Timothy. Oh, yeah, we know him. Who's Sopater? He's the son of Pyrrhus. Well, that clears everything up, Luke. Yeah. But where is he from? Look at that closely. He's from Berea. These other guys are from Thessalonica. Gaius is from Derby. And then you've got some from Asia. These are the places where Paul went guided and led by the Spirit what you have in Troas is kind of a a homecoming you have the result of all of those years of work of all those years of struggle where where Paul became a vessel for the preaching of the gospel where he was led by the Holy Spirit where he suffered but because of that he's getting to benefit from the fruit of the seed that he's planted this is that day for Paul when these people Who may have even been leaders in those communities gathered around the Lord's table. He is sharing the common meal of the Lord with the people that He encouraged and preached to. Maybe even some were converted because of His preaching. Some of them are Gentiles, some of them are Jews, but they come from those places that we've already heard about. Do you remember these places? where Paul was blown by the wind of the Spirit, sometimes going not where he wanted to go, but where he had to go. Places like Berea, that noble synagogue, where they they searched the, the, the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying about the Messiah was true. And Berea was not on the official itinerary. Paul ended up there because of conflict in Thessalonica. And he ended up in Thessalonica, which was on the main road in Macedonia, because Paul originally wanted to go to Asia, but the Spirit of Jesus said, No, you're going to Macedonia. And Paul saw a vision of a man in Macedonia calling him to come up here and help us. And Derby, Derby, and Lystra out there in Iconium. That's where Paul and Barnabas, remember Barnabas? Remember the times that Paul was with Barnabas before they split up, before they had an argument? But once they were traveling, Derby would have reminded Paul of that ministry with Barnabas. And you would have seen, even though there was conflict between Paul and Barnabas, there was still, there was still fruit that came out of that effort. Derby was that place where they showed up. Not even you know, without, a, without a second thought, this. this This man was healed by the power of the Spirit and all of a sudden people broke out into all kinds of of crazy worship thinking that the Greek gods had come in human form and Paul and Barnabas can barely settle them down. Oh yeah, that was one of their great adventures. They were deep in Gentile country. As Luke says, when they started praising the Greek gods, they busted out in their local dialect. That means they were using, you know, Hick talk, okay? They were, you know, they were talking. They were talking. It was like, "Yeehaw!" The Greek gods have come here. They were really getting into it. Couldn't even understand their language. That's how exuberant they were. Oh yeah, it looked like a disaster. But guess what? The spirit's in charge of it all. It's people like that who are at that supper table in Troas. It's people like the Thessalonians who were rare in their acceptance of the gospel. It's people like the Bereans who were noble, and it's people like. The people from Asia Minor, which was the center of culture, which is where Paul wanted to go. But in God's time, through the Spirit's guidance, he was finally there. And when they all come together at Troas, you see what God had always intended, that everyone should come together, one in Christ. All of these are the places where the wind of the Spirit sent Paul. And Luke has printed us an image of the communion that shows us what the real presence, what the real work of the Holy Spirit looks like. Very different people from faraway places. People who in the world of that day and age probably would have no reason to speak to one another, who may have even rejected one another, who may have had problems with one another, whose people may have even been at war with one another. you saw the front page of the uh, christian chronicle that just came out church in ferguson missouri said that worship is our protest in the midst of unrest in this day and age worship can be more than just a ritual that we go through but it can it can become our way of believing in a world that transcends this world in a world where all who come in repentance and faithfulness to Jesus Christ are made new. But of course, we're not going to experience that by walking on clouds or going to some you know, gilded auditorium with, with you know, like a crystal cathedral or something like that. No, it's often going to happen as we experience a very mundane and very earthly experience. And you see that here in Troas. I mean, all of these people from all these different places that Paul the, 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 had preached the gospel to and the, and the Holy Spirit had brought them together as one, they're still in this very earthly setting. That's why you have that story about Eutychus sitting in the window sill. I mean, he, he doesn't even have a chair to sit in. He's propped up in a window. And Luke even paints the image So clearly with words. There were many lamps in the upstairs room. It's a very earthly setting for this most wonderful Lord's Supper in Troas. But they've got oil lamps flickering. And everybody's drowsy. And here's this young fellow Eutychus. He's up there. And Paul is preaching on and on. But not because Paul is long-winded. It's because Paul knows he's never going to see these people again. So he wants to share every last word he can so that they will hold on to faith so that in eternity they'll see each other again. Can you see the passion in Paul's heart? As he cares so much for these people. And I guess Eutychus might have felt it, but maybe he'd had a little too much wine. I don't know. Maybe it was just late. Maybe that old flickering oil lamp in the dark outside just finally got to him. And and Paul and this this supper in Troas is happening in a place where accidents can still happen. A very earthly place. A very human place. A a place where the ordinary is still surrounding us all the time. And, And sometimes I think when we have to create the drama of a, of a mystical experience, we miss the fact that the Spirit of the Lord encounters us right here in this world, our everyday world. And we have these glimpses of the eternal, heavenly presence of Christ, but meets us right where we're at. So you and I are not called to compartmentalize our life and to create a religious persona that we Brush off and bring to church on Sunday. And then we go live our earthly life the rest of the week. Paul has no sense of boundaries for days. Preaching to midnight and beyond. And everybody's very concerned about Eutychus. And isn't it interesting that in that very earthly, ordinary setting, the power of the resurrection breaks out. Eutychus is restored to life that around the Lord's Supper table, we come into contact with the power and the meaning and the significance of the resurrection. It's not something that gets stored away from broken earthly creatures like us, but it's something that meets us right in the midst of our everyday life. Now Luke has done a job just like our woodcut artist Eichenberg who shows us that in the midst of all of those people from all of those different places in Troas, in the midst of, of, of that, that group of believers in Troas and, and poor Eutychus who, who falls asleep but is restored, there's one other presence clearly there, though not always, you don't always see his face, but his presence is clearly there, and it's the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that sets a table, opens the door, invites others to that table. As we Conclude our thoughts today. I want you to think about salvation just like we do around the Lord's Supper table. We think about Jesus who went to the cross, who died for us, whose body was broken for us. We drink from the cup and He says, this is my blood poured out for all of you. Drink it, it's the new covenant in my blood. And yet, when we hear those words, how often do we translate it at the Lord's Supper? This is my body broken for, this is His body broken for me. This is His blood poured out for me. And we often want to put it in the singular, which I understand has its place. Yes, Christ loves you, He loves you as an individual. But don't you see that God's salvation project is much greater than just you and I as individuals? God wants to save me, and for that I'm incredibly thankful. But He also wants to save you, and He wants to save our relationship with one another. He wants to bring us into greater fellowship. He wants all those barriers that exist because of history, because of background, because of mistrust, because of anger... He wants all of those things to break down. And God's not just saving me as an individual, but He's saving us as a people. And His salvation project is bringing all of us. He wants to save our relationship with creation. God has got something so big in mind when it comes to salvation. We're going to have to stop and consider that when we come to His supper table, when we walk alongside one another, when we spend time with one another. And if this year ends and there is animosity between you and some other person, do you understand that you're standing in the way of God's salvation project? If there's any kind of of, of sin that stands in the way of your relationship with other people, do you understand that that interferes with God's salvation project? And I'm not saying that you're going to end up on the naughty list, okay, and you're going to get a lump of coal. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is asking you, would you bring all of that to the table and just give it to Christ so that just as He saves us from our sins, He does something for us that we cannot do on our own. He can also heal broken relationships. He can heal damaged relationships among people in ways that you and I can't even imagine if we will all just turn it over to Him. Let worship be our protest. Let worship be our place where we say that Christ is King and we don't do whatever we want, but we do what the King commands. And we are grateful that He invites us to His supper table. The message today is that that even if you've fallen, Christ can restore you. The message today is that Even if we are not what we want to be as a people, the power of Christ can restore us and bring us to his supper table and do more than we could imagine. Please hear this message because it's the message, it's the evidence, you see it all through Acts, you see it in the gospel. You see the Spirit doing things. Remember that this Paul who's enjoying this meal and he's preaching with this passion to these people that he loved. Do you remember who he was? I mean, his seat at that table in Troas is a seat that you and I would never give him because he persecuted our brothers and sisters. He chased them down. He was a religious zealot. He thought that he knew God and he was serving the devil. And Barnabas took the risk of welcoming him. So everyone comes to this table not deserving a seat, but we've been invited by Jesus Christ. Regardless of where you have been, where you come from, what, who you are, what you look like, how you dress, what you do for a living, who you've known, where you've been, the mistakes you've made. Turn all that over to Christ. You can be saved. I'll say this. Last Sunday of the year, I Please, don't ever tell yourself that message, you know, but, but, but what I've done, Christ can't. Tell me the sin that the blood of Christ cannot atone for. It doesn't make sense that there would be something that, that God would say, well, the death of my son is just simply not enough. But Christ has made a way for all of us. Not just to be saved, but to have our relationships with one another saved and to have all of us come together and we visualize that, we experience that, we recognize that, we symbolize that by all of us coming around the Lord's Supper table. And that door that comes to that table is a watery passage through baptism into Jesus Christ. Because that's where... We leave behind all of the old and we're made new and we're brought in and we're added to that table, that setting at the table. So understand today that there's there's an invitation, we call it. But this isn't the formal religious invitation that we often think of. This is the invitation of Jesus Christ, the door that is always open for you and yours to come to Him And I pray that if you have business with others who are seated at the table, that you will settle that in the Spirit of Christ. And I pray that if there's more that you want out of your relationship with others, it's not just the broken stuff, but sometimes the stuff that we consider good, fellowship in Christ makes it great. And whatever it is, know that the invitation comes from Jesus Christ Himself, whose presence is still very much with us. And I pray that if the Spirit is leading you, you will be obedient and come. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. Our elders will be here to encourage anyone who needs a word, and needs to share a prayer. You can go to room 100 and pray as well.